listen very closely. This is the most important issue you will ever face in life because it is the question of how one is delivered from their sins, how one is rescued, saved for all of eternity from the penalty of their sins. Is salvation by trusting alone, and I emphasize the word alone, in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross? Or is it by believing that Christ died for your sins, but adding to his work on the cross something you feel you must do, some religious performance, some effort on your part, some rules you must obey? The first century church was plagued by false teachers trying to convince the Gentile believers that in order to qualify for redemption by the blood of Christ, they had to become Jews and submit to circumcision. In other words, they had to do something to be worthy of God's grace. Or, to put it another way, God's grace and the blood of Christ were not enough to save them as they were. And the 21st century church is also plagued by the same kind of ideas. Maybe not circumcision, but the false teachers have come up with plenty of other ways to pollute and dilute the gospel. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. As our name implies, Pastor Steve teaches verse by verse through the scriptures. In our last class, he came to chapter 15 of the book of Acts, and today is the second part of that message. In this passage, Luke tells of some men who went to Antioch from Judea and said that those Gentile believers in Antioch could not be saved unless they were circumcised. So the church sent Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem to see what the apostles and elders there had to say. In our last class, Pastor Steve quoted Bible teacher John Stott as saying, They were telling the Gentile converts that faith in Jesus was not enough, not sufficient for salvation. They must add to faith circumcision and to circumcision observance of the law. In other words, they must let Moses complete what Jesus had begun and let the law supplement the gospel. The issue was immense, says Stott. The way of salvation was in dispute. The very foundations of the Christian faith were being undermined. So, as you can imagine, this was and still is really big stuff today. Let's listen as Pastor Steve brings us today's lesson. Now listen closely, because what these men taught was the height of heresy. Jewish people in Old Testament times were not saved by circumcision and the keeping of the Mosaic law. And Gentiles couldn't be saved by circumcision or the law either. The Apostle Paul made this point very clear in Romans chapter 4, when speaking about the father of the Jewish people, Abraham, and his faith. Paul states that Abraham was justified, and justification means declared legally righteous by God on the basis of his faith and not works, which included the work of circumcision. Paul opens chapter 4 of Romans with these words. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but what's due? But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. 
Paul is simply saying that Abraham was saved. God credited righteousness to his account on the basis of his faith, not anything that he did. And a little bit later in this chapter, Paul directly addresses the issue of Abraham's circumcision. And he asks if his circumcision was the means by which God credited righteousness to him. And his answer is a resounding no, absolutely not. Verses 10 through 12. How then was it credited? He means how was righteousness credited to Abraham while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? His answer, not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, he means Jewish people, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. So let me explain this. Paul wants us to understand that Abraham was saved, justified prior to being circumcised. That came later. And his circumcision, Paul says, it was just an outward sign that God had saved him. That's all. It wasn't the means of his salvation. He had been saved prior to that. Therefore, Abraham is an example of how to be saved, both to uncircumcised Gentiles, they just have to believe. And to circumcised Jewish people, they also just have to believe. Because salvation comes by means of faith and nothing else. Now listen very closely. This is the most important issue you will ever face in life. Because it is the question of how one is delivered from their sins. How one is rescued. Saved for all of eternity from the penalty of their sins. Is salvation by trusting alone, and I emphasize the word alone, in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross? Or is it by believing that Christ died for your sins, but adding to his work on the cross something you feel you must do, some religious performance, some effort on your Part, some rules you must obey. You see, the men who came from Judea, they believed that it was good and it was right for these Gentiles to believe in Jesus, except they said it just wasn't enough. It's good, but you haven't come far enough. They still needed to keep the law of circumcision. And this is why it is a damnable heresy, because if believed, it condemns a person to hell, because true salvation comes by faith alone. In Christ's atoning death without adding anything to it. I want you to listen to these crucial words by Bible teacher R.C.H. Lenski. He said, to add anything to Christ as being necessary to salvation, say circumcision or any human work of any kind, is to deny that Christ is the complete Savior. Is to put something human on par with him. Yea, to make it the crowning point. That is fatal. A bridge to heaven that is built on 99% of Christ and even only 1% of anything human breaks down at the joint and ceases to be a bridge. Even if Christ be thought of as carrying 999 miles of the way and something merely human be required for the last mile, this would leave us hanging in the air with heaven being still far away. I hope you see the issue. 
Now, to show you just how serious this problem is, both in the first century, it is still serious today. I want to divert your attention for a few minutes away from Acts 15 to look at Paul's letter to the Galatians, because Paul devoted the entire his entire letter to the Galatians to addressing this very issue of faith alone and not faith plus works. And the reason for this is because false teachers with the same exact heresy had come to the various Galatian churches saying the same things that were now being said in Antioch by the men from Judea, that Gentiles couldn't be saved without first being circumcised and becoming Jewish. And tragically, that's why this is so important, tragically, this error appealed to the Galatians. They were buying into it. They were embracing This heresy, and that's why Paul writes his letter to them explaining the seriousness of the problem and trying to deliver them from such foolishness, such erroneous thinking. That's what Galatians is about. In fact, it's very likely that Paul wrote to the Galatians, who, by the way, were members of the very churches we've just looked at. The the churches in the cities that Paul and Barnabas just visited. Those were the Galatians. Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derba. So it's very likely that Paul, while he was on his way up to Jerusalem, seeking a resolution to the crisis that had now arisen in Antioch, that he was writing this very letter to the Galatians. That's very likely. In other words, the error that the church at Antioch was now just beginning to be exposed to, the churches in Galatia, they had already been inundated with this error, and they were in the process of falling for it. They were in the process of believing it. And that's why what Paul wrote to the Galatians helps us to understand the situation that the church in Antioch was facing. I want you to notice in chapter 1, verse 6, the incredibly strong language that Paul uses in writing to them. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ, for note this, for a different gospel. Now, right off the bat, you can tell by these words that Paul was just so upset with these people. He was annoyed at them. He tells them that he's amazed by what they had done. In other words, he can hardly fathom their actions. Because what they had done, according to Paul, isn't simply to add some Jewish flavor to the gospel. No, what they had done by accepting circumcision as necessary for salvation was that they had deserted him who called you by the grace of Christ. In other words, in abandoning the message of salvation by grace alone, the Galatians had actually abandoned God himself, deserting him who called them to salvation in Christ. He's telling them that in believing what these men from Judea had taught them, that they had to be circumcised and first become Jews before they could become Christians, and then they had to live by the law of Moses by embracing that System of belief they had actually deserted God, the one who had called them to faith in Christ. Now, notice that Paul uses some very specific language here to describe the sin of the Galatians. And in doing so, he highlights the gravity of what they were doing. This particular word that's translated deserting, it means to transfer one's allegiance. It was used in ancient Greek literature of soldiers who had deserted their army. It was also used of men who had changed sides in either politics or philosophy. And so what Paul is accusing the Galatians of is becoming traitors, becoming spiritual turncoats in listening to 
and believing the false teachers, what they had told them about the necessity of adding law to the message of salvation by faith alone, they had allowed themselves to be misled, and in doing so, they had actually deserted God. You see, to desert the doctrine of salvation by grace alone, it's not simply to change your theological view. It's in reality rejecting God himself, deserting him, the one who called you to salvation by grace in Christ. Folks, this is a critical issue. It's not one to be taken lightly. When you hear of someone who has professed faith in Christ but has left an evangelical church, which there are many who have, there are those who have done that from here, but if you hear of someone who said they claim to have trusted Christ for salvation, and they leave an evangelical church like ours for, let's say, the Roman Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic faith, or some liberal Protestant denomination, or some religious cult that believes that human effort is necessary for salvation. This is a rejection of God himself, and it happens today. This is not an ancient first century problem alone. It is a relevant problem. These people have spiritually defected from the one who created the plan of salvation. The one who called them by his grace. The one who sent his son to die as a substitute sacrifice for sinners. This is nothing short of betrayal and treason of the highest order. And so Paul accuses the Galatians and everyone else who turns away from salvation by grace of deserting God. Question is, what were they deserting him for? Well, notice the last phrase of verse 6. For a different gospel, he says, Paul refers to the message that the false teachers taught the Galatians and what they were now gravitating to as a different gospel. Now, he'll go on in verse seven to clarify that there's really no other gospel message apart from the one that the Lord has already given. But in calling the message of these false teachers a different gospel, Paul's point is to say that. These men, these false teachers, presented their message as if it was the gospel from God himself. As if it was true. As if they were speaking an authoritative message from God. Now, I want you to consider what was happening in Galatia and how this applies to us. Because I think it's very easy for us to look down upon the Galatians and anyone else who turns from the gospel of grace for being just so naive, so fickle, without realizing how vulnerable we are to the same kind of stuff. And that we ourselves are just as much in danger of falling away from the truth for a different gospel as they were. So let's consider well, what, what the error was that the Galatians fell for. Consider if we would do any better if we were in their Shoes or their sandals, as it were. So to begin with, what do you think these false teachers told the Galatians when they visited their churches? You see, they would never have gotten even a hearing if they told them obvious error. And so what they must have said to them was subtle error. That's how false teachers work. Subtle error. Error that's, that's mixed with so much truth that it's not that easy to detect. First of all, then, understand that these men, they claimed to be Christians, they even claimed that, that they were sent by the apostles. They said that their, their message was in line with the apostles. And more than that, as I said, they said they were delegates, apostolic delegates sent by the Jerusalem church. But they weren't sent, as I've already told you, by anyone in authority at Jerusalem. But listen, the Galatians didn't know that. Not at that time. 
They accepted them as valid Bible teachers sent by the apostles with a biblical message, just as many false teachers today claim to be orthodox and biblical. They can be on television, they can be on the radio, and God's people naively believe them. Secondly, these men sounded very believable. They sounded very biblical. Why? Because so many of the things they said sounded like what Paul had preached to them. They told them that, like Paul, they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Like Paul, they even spoke approvingly of Christ's sacrificial death on the cross. This is what Paul had told them. But then they said something that wasn't what Paul had preached to them. They said that believing in Jesus Christ wasn't enough to be saved. They said that there was something more to the gospel, that there was a way to improve on the sacrifice of Christ by following the Old Testament laws, not just circumcision. That was the initial one, but Sabbath keeping and adhering to eating only kosher foods, following certain rituals, holidays, Jewish feasts. Now, if you wonder how in the world could the Galatians have fallen for such error, then consider how convincing the arguments used by the false teachers must have been. They must have sounded something like this. Listen, we're Jewish and we know what we're talking about because our people have been worshiping the true God for thousands of years. God gave Moses his law many years ago and he's not about to change it now. Yes, Jesus came to die for our sins and that's good, but that's not enough to save you eternally. If you really want the full gospel, then you need to believe in Christ as well as become Jewish by being circumcised. This is the way it has always been for Gentiles who want to have a place with the people of God. See how that must have sounded very plausible to these Gentiles. Well, what did they know? Here come some Jewish people. We're Jewish and our people have known the truth for years. The oracles of God have been given to us. You people are just pagans. So listen to us. See, the Galatians were deceived into deserting the Lord by some very plausible sounding arguments by men who spoke just enough. Biblical truth to sound believable and credible, and these Christians fell for it. Now, I wonder if we would have responded any differently to men like these than the Galatians did. I hope so, but there's no guarantee that we would just because we're Christians. And I say that because there are many Christians today who seem to have no discernment No discernment in distinguishing between those who preach the true gospel of grace in Christ and false gospel teachers who claim to be preaching the Bible, but who in reality are just promoting self and human effort as the way to find fulfillment and happiness. And just in case you think that the reason the Galatians fell for such error was because, well, they really weren't true Christians, while you, being a true Christian that you are immune to such deception. Think again. Because the Apostle Paul considered the Galatians to be true believers. I remember when I was preaching through Galatians years ago, a young man questioned me about this. He said, well, the Galatians, how could they possibly have been true believers? Well, they were considered true believers by Paul. And I say that because throughout this letter, Paul often speaks of the Holy Spirit working in their lives and even being in them the way he is in all Christians. 
chapter 3, verse 3, he says, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? That's the Holy Spirit. Are you now being perfected by the flesh? That means that you started off the Christian life by the Spirit of God living in you and enlightening you. But you're moving away from that. Again, in chapter 4, verse 6, Because you are sons, calls them sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That's true of only believers. Paul also refers to them as brethren. And in calling them brethren, he means that he considers them his brothers and sisters in Christ. Chapter 1, verse 11, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. And here's something important to know if we're really going to understand what was taking place in the hearts and actions of the Galatians. Take a look once again at verse 6. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him. Now, I want you to notice that this action of deserting the Lord is in the present tense, which means that they were only in the process, in the process of defecting from grace to law. It wasn't an accomplished fact yet. In other words, they were presently engaged in deserting God and the gospel, but they hadn't fully carried it out and finished this desertion, which means there's still hope for them. They're entertaining this. They're moving in that direction, but they haven't arrived there yet. So for the most part, the Galatians then, we'd have to conclude, for the most part, they were true believers in Christ who were only in the process of falling for serious error. But what this reveals is that you and I, if you're a believer in Christ, You and I are just as capable of being deceived by error as these people were. And if you don't think so, then consider this. How many Christians love the preaching ministry of a man like Joel Osteen, even though he never mentions sin in his sermons and the need to forsake sin, the need to turn to Christ to be saved. That's not mentioned. Listen, there is no gospel where sin is not mentioned because there is no need for Christ's death to save you if there is no sin to be saved from. You remember Bernie Madoff? He's the investment advisor with the dubious distinction of having set up the biggest Ponzi scheme in history. Prosecutors estimated that his fraud cost investors almost $65 billion. Others estimate $18 billion. Either way, those are big numbers. And then he went to prison with a sentence of 150 years. Another big number. You know, it's bad enough when deceivers lead us to financial ruin. How much worse are the consequences for those who fall for false gospels? Not to mention the penalty for the ones who spread the false gospels. I'm glad you could be here today for Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you're in or near Clearwater and looking for a place to worship, I can recommend Lakeside without reservation. The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road. And if you'd like more information, the phone number is 727-441-1714. Or go online to lakesidechapel.com. That's lakesidechapel.com or call 727-441-1714. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry of Lakeside. If you'd like to be a part of our support team or just make a special gift, it's safe and easy to do at our website, versebyverseradio.org. We appreciate the generosity of all the donors who help us keep on bringing Verse by Verse to your radio. And don't forget our large library of free audio files. 
All of our previous broadcasts are available on our message archive page, so you can listen again or share with a friend who might not be able to tune in when we're on the air. That's at versebyverseradio.org. I'm Jerry Peterson. Our world is filled with counterfeit products, usually called knockoffs. They are not only a theft of someone else's ideas and development time, they can also be dangerous, especially in pharmaceuticals. Just as fake penicillin isn't really penicillin, fake gospels are not really gospels. The challenge for the apostles and the elders who met in Jerusalem for this first church council was to make it clear, with the help of the Holy Spirit, what is the real gospel, so that we can recognize the knockoffs that we still hear today. On the next Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will be wrapping up this first message in his series about the Jerusalem Council, and we'll see from Scripture that there really is only one gospel.